So coming out is a lifelong journey. You never really complete the process. There's always someone new who doesn't know, and you have to decide if you're going to share this personal piece of yourself. Uh, just this past summer, I was on a trip with a group of mostly clergy uh, and church leaders in England, and on the very last day of the trip, I had someone make a comment about my wife. Now, I thought it was a joke, and so I laughed a little awkwardly until I realized that she didn't know and asked why I was laughing. And so there on the escalator descending down to the tube platform in London, I had to come out once again. You never really stop coming out. Tonight I want to share with you uh, a part of my coming out journey that took place when I was in college. And, uh, to give some context to this, because I think it's important to remember just how much has happened in the last two decades. Uh, when I was in college in the first years of the 21st century, it was really just the early years after the initial AIDS crisis had begun, begun to cool a bit, and HIV wasn't quite the scary thing that it once was. I was in college as the marriage bans were being voted on and many states were making it illegal for LGBTQ plus folks to have legal marriage. I voted in the election in Georgia when they voted to ban my marriage. It was publicly acceptable for a majority of the country to be anti-LGBTQ. Politicians were afraid to say gay. And I was going to college in deep South Georgia, and my college established a gay-straight alliance for the first time in my junior year. And even when they did that, they faced quite a bit of public pushback. That's the context that I went to college in. So when I arrived at college, though, uh, I was mostly oblivious to my sexual orientation, and long story short, I spent most of my freshman year and the following summer figuring it out. But even after that, I struggled. I acknowledged, but I didn't accept myself. I turned to my campus ministry, which was pretty much my home away from home at college, but they were not affirming. But they said they were resolved to help me in my struggle. Something at the time that I welcomed, even though the reality of that help never really materialized. And so I began a really long journey. Daily praying, daily calling on God to remove this part of me. I were, walked 30 minutes each way to my internship multiple days a week, and I used that as my prayer time, my time to go to God and confess all of the ways I fell short. I confessed the feelings I had, the feelings that I'm sure most college students have when they feel attracted to someone. And I lived in a guy's dorm, and frankly, temptation was everywhere. I beat up myself every day because I knew the thoughts that I had. 
I knew my private things that I kept to myself, the things that I dared not share with anyone. And I did this all alone because I was terrified that someone would find out my secret and that they would reject me. This went on for almost two years, and the longer I did it, the harder I was on myself. And the really disheartening thing at the time is that it never got any easier or better. And so finally one night, I was doing my normal prayer session, praying by myself in our campus ministry house, and I can remember vividly, I was crying, and I was distraught. I was once again beating myself up for falling short of what I thought the standard was supposed to be. And that night something in me broke. And I cried out that I didn't understand why it hasn't gotten any better. Just a teeny bit easier is all I wanted. Why, after all of this time, had I made no progress? Why, after struggling like this, hadn't God honored my struggle, granted me the healing that I desired, the fix that I needed and I was looking for? Why couldn't it just get a little better? Why did I have to struggle while all my other classmates got to date and be normal? It went on like that for a bit until I found myself pretty much cried out. I don't know if you've ever cried so much that you just, the tears don't come anymore, but I was cried out, and because the tears stopped flowing, I got quiet. And finally I said to God, I don't know what is right, and I don't know what's wrong, but I can't do this anymore. I remember saying it and feeling like I was letting God down. I can remember the wetness on my cheeks. I can remember the sniffling of the winding down of a really, really ugly cry. And I remember the stillness that fell all around me. And that's when I heard it. Something that I can't ever truly understand other than the voice of God because it did not come from me. It's a voice that said, that's okay. I love you anyway. In that moment, a peace fell over me that can only be described by the peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that's described in Philippians 4. It was like a weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. I'd been carrying that burden for so long, and what God was saying was that there was no burden to carry. My sexuality is not a burden. It's a blessing. My sexuality is a gift from God, how God wants me to be, and a part of what makes me uniquely me. That night I officially began my coming out journey, walking away with the simple truth that I am loved. Now, I get asked a lot, being a pastor, being a person that's been involved in talking about these things in the Christian world for, I hesitate to say, almost two decades now. I get asked to justify this. How does how do you justify this with Scripture? 
Now, a lot of times what folks are looking for is that magic phrase that's going to convince them, that's going to prove it, especially those who really want to condemn me because they really want the magic phrase so they can reject it. But the truth is, there is no magic phrase. I can't prove to you, but I can reason. I can explain why I believe this is the truth. The truth is that we have to actually be open to hearing the truth. And if someone's coming to condemn you, they're probably not that open to hearing the truth in that moment. And so we can throw out all of these passages that discuss what folks say is about homosexuality. And we can talk about how some folks believe they show God's disapproval. I could go through each one of these and tell you exactly how I believe they've been misinterpreted and how I believe they've been wrongly applied. And then, after all of that conversation, they'll, they'll give me the, uh, the big catch answer and say, well, okay, saying now that's true, tell me, where does Scripture affirm your sexuality? And unfortunately, the answer is that Scripture is silent, at least in any specific way. Scripture doesn't specifically say it is okay for a man to love a man or a woman to love a woman or for your gender to not match what you were assigned at birth or for your identity to not be what everyone else says it should be. Scripture doesn't specifically say that. Scripture's almost silent in that way. But it does say this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love the Lord, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Basically, love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Jesus gave us this as the ultimate commandment. There's also the fact that I don't believe silence means God didn't weigh in, or that silence counts as God weighing in. The problem with arguing from silence is the question of why. Why would God condemn LGBTQ plus people? Why would God decide that the lives of LGBTQ plus people are sinful? Every sin we can imagine, I believe, falls into one of three categories. There are things that cause harm to ourselves, cause harm to others, or cause harm to our relationship with God. My answer to those who say, prove to me God's okay, is to say, prove to me that God isn't okay with it. Show me, where does it declare that the love of two people or the identity, accepting the identity that fits the best for you is sin? And when the question is why, why would God make these things sin, what is the answer? Because that's definitely not in Scripture. And if the answer, the only answer is because God says so, well, I say the God of creation is more intentional than making arbitrary decisions that would marginalize some based on how God has created them. God says so is simply not 
good enough of an answer. Because the God of creation told me that I am loved, that I am beautifully and wonderfully made, that I was knit together in my mother's womb by the very hand of God to be who I am. And this is my truth. I'm a proud gay man, and I am a pastor, and I am a Christian, and I am a husband to my husband. And no human condemnation will ever shake this truth. I want to close with something I wrote on Facebook earlier today, because I feel like it's just a fitting way to close. You be you. You be proud to be you. Whether you live your truth out loud for everyone to see, or you have to keep it deep inside, or you're somewhere in between, in the daylights and in the shadowy corners, you be you. And know I am proud to walk beside you and support you in any way you need. And always remind you that you are loved. Amen.